Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. All right, if you have a Bible, there's two places I want you to turn as we look again at this story of one of the greatest kings in the life of Israel, Isaiah chapter 38 and 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, if you, if you know something about the Bible, you know that kings is all about the kings, and that's deep, right? And Isaiah is about Isaiah and his story, his ministry. So the two intersect. A king, Hezekiah, we're going to be talking about, and Isaiah the prophet. So you'll find in both those books a similar story about a king named Hezekiah. We're talking about responding to the unexpected. And so there in Isaiah chapter 38, we saw last week, verse 1, in the days of Hezekiah, he was sick, near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and he said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and you'll not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, remember me now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart, and I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And there was three things that we drew out of this last week, just as a recap. We talked about Hezekiah prayed, and that in unexpected times or crisis or situations in life, one thing that we can do is we can reach out to God. We can pray. And that's what he did. He reached out to the Lord and he prayed. Number two, he had lived a good life with a clear conscience. And You know, none of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what's around the corner. No one expected the pandemic. A lot of people have died from it. And one thing we can do, one thing we can be ready for is to live life with a clear conscience, to be ready if the Lord should call us home. And that's what Hezekiah says to the Lord. Lord, I've lived before you with a a clear conscience. He says, I walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. I've done what is good in your sight. So he's basically saying, Lord, if this is your time, okay, I'm ready. And then it says he wept bitterly. And one of the things I think that Hezekiah knew was that he was of the lineage, the line of David, and that through him would come the Messiah. And at that time in his life, Hezekiah had no son. And We saw in the story last week that God gave him 15 more years of life as he answered his prayer. And in that 15 years that he lived, he had a son. In fact, that son, believe it or not, if you know the story, took the throne at 12 years of age. So he wept. He was wondering, God, how will you fulfill your plan? How will you fulfill your purpose in my life if the Messiah is supposed to come through my lineage? And so I think that's why he wept. So three things as a takeaway from last week was, you know, to, 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 to reach out to the Lord, to live with a clear conscience, and know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So we pick up the story. 
of this unexpected crisis. And after Hezekiah prayed, it tells us in verse 4, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. And he says, go tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and surely I will add to your days 15 years. And then he adds one more thing in verse 6. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. So God, through Isaiah, tells Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 more years, and I'm going to protect the city that's under siege. Now, verse 7 and 8 we're going to come back to because they're significant, but I want to just kind of give you an overview of what's happening in this crisis. We have... In verses 9 through 20, Hezekiah's testimony, his story of recovering from the illness. We have his sickness, his crisis, how he felt, what he feared, how he prayed. And then at the end of chapter 38, I want to draw your attention to a couple of verses that seem kind of out of place, like they're an addendum, like they're just sort of an afterthought, that they're not in context. So the last two verses, verse 21, it says, Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil so that he shall recover. So let me have your attention. Isaiah has this boil. That's why he's dying. It's infected him. So I've got a picture of a boil I want you to look at. I, I don't. I don't. I actually looked up some boils and I thought, there's no way I can put that on the screen. It's too hideous. But he had this boil, and one of the ways it seems that they healed these things was with this poultice, they call it, which would be take the figs and turn it into kind of a paste, spread it over the boil, and cover it with some kind of bandage. So that's part of the process. And then in verse 22, it says, and Hezekiah had said, now the king himself, well, okay, put the the stuff on the boil, but what's the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord again when I'm healed? What's the sign, Lord, that I'll be able to go up and worship you and spend time in your presence? So I want to I talk about those two verses because they're, they're very significant. First, we're given some insight into his illness. It's a boil. It's an infection. And it's deadly. I mean, it's going to take his life. So Isaiah says, we're going to take some figs. We're, we're going to dress it. We're going to put it on there. And, and I want you to hear this. I want to draw this out of this text that God uses very practical means sometimes to accomplish his purpose. He takes the medicinal uh, process of that day and uses it for Hezekiah's unexpected crisis. Hezekiah prays, and God supplies healing through these figs. And apparently that was a normal process for that day and that time. And I say all that to say this, that God many times as we pray uses very practical things to answer our prayers. He does. I mean, let's say I pray every morning, God, 
make me buff, make me strong, make me fit, make me amazing. But I never exercise. I never eat right. And my wife always says, why don't you exercise? I don't know if any of your other men's wives say that to you. And, but I say, I, I'm going to pray and God's going to do it. But I'm still fat and I'm still weak. Because God uses very practical means sometimes to answer prayers. It's kind of like I lived in Kansas City, Missouri for three years. I went to school there and the winters were just horrendous. Oh, my gosh, snow, ice, I mean, snow this deep sometimes. I'm from Florida. I've lived here all my life. I've never even seen a snow shovel until I moved to Kansas City. And I prayed, God, get me out of this God-forsaken place, you know. Make me warm. But I had to wear these snorkel jackets that, like, you look like an Eskimo and galoshes and gloves. I could have prayed, God, when I go outside, just make me warm. God said, no, I'm going to use practical means to, to make you warm. Jacket, gloves, galoshes. God uses certain things and people to accomplish his purposes. God uses doctors and nurses sometimes to bring healing and health to our lives. God uses contractors to build homes. When, when my wife and I were, were first married and, and uh, we were living here in Gulf Breeze, uh, we ha they had something back then in Gulf Breeze that they don't have now. It's called vacant land. It's amazing. There were subdivisions being developed, and you could hire a contractor and actually build a house for a reasonable price. So we built a couple of houses in our marriage. And God used contract. We didn't just go buy a lot and kneel on it and go, God, raise up a house, raise up a house. No, we had to go hire a contractor. Because God uses practical means to accomplish his purposes at times. He uses farmers to grow food. He uses teachers to educate and train children. He uses parents to guide their children through life. He uses politicians. We don't know what for, but he, he uses them. <laughs> he uses politicians. It's an amazing thing. It's how God accomplishes his purpose, his will, how he touches and speaks and brings blessing to people. All kinds of practical, understandable ways. A virus sweeps through the world. There's all kinds of different reactions to it. All kinds. I mean, I had someone text me last week and say, you know, you, 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 I saw people online doing this and this and this, you know, pretty much smacking me around a little bit. And I thought, boy, there's all kinds of responses to this. God uses practical means. Some of, some of the means we saw in this was, hey, wear a mask, social distancing, trying to get a vaccine, wash your hands, use doctors, nurses, lab technicians, simple use of hand sanitizer. And yet also we're praying, God, heal protect, deliver. And I'm grateful for, for all the means that God uses to heal and protect and save anyone, but still, it's God that you honor. It's God that you thank. Now, Hezekiah also says, not only, okay, God used practical means. He says, I'm giving figs. I'm putting a poultice on the boil. But in verse 22 in Isaiah chapter 38 says, God, what's the sign that I'll know it's you? 
What's the sign you're going to give me so I'll know for sure that God is not just the figs, but it's you who, who are raising me up. So go back to verse 7 and 8 that we skipped over here in chapter 38 of Isaiah. And this is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken, verse 7. And then verse 8, Behold, I will bring the shadow of the sundial, which has gone down with the sun, on the sundial of Ahaz. Ahaz was his father, the king before him, and apparently he had built a sundial. Now back then they didn't have watches. They didn't have clocks. They didn't have, hey Alexa, what time is it? It's funny because if you're watching this online right now, Alexa told you what time it is. So that happened to me once. I was watching a service online. Somebody said, hey Alexa. All of a sudden Alexa did whatever they said. But they didn't have that back then. But apparently Ahaz, I think many times they would build a, a, set, a set of steps out in an open area where the sun, you could watch the shadows creep down the steps and you would judge the time by the shadow. And so he says in verse 8, I will bring the shadow of the sundial, which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, his father, 10 degrees backwards so the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down this is your sign now, now let me have your attention hezekiah sick at the place of death he's had all kinds of scenarios like you or i would if someone came to you a, a prophet that you knew really spoke for god and said hey get your house in order god said you're going to die so God gives Hezekiah this sign. Instead of the shadow going down the steps, it'll go up the steps by 10 degrees. Now this is something, and please hear this, this is something no fig can do. No medicine can do. No person can do. It's the indisputable fact to Hezekiah that God is doing this. No vaccine can do it. No hand washing can do it. There are certain things that only God can do and does that it's unmistakably him. I know without a shadow of a doubt in my own life, at 18 years of age, a high school dropout using all kinds of, at that time they were illegal drugs. They're legal now, but back then it wasn't. And, and thinking, well, I'm going to do this with my life, I'm going to do that, and, and kind of broken and not much self-confidence and just living, you know, uh, from, a, from a marriage that my mom and dad had that fell apart when I was 13, the, the middle child of five kids, and, and I was just struggling through life. What am I going to do? And there was this, as Peter Marshall, a great pastor, said one time, this unmistakable tap on the shoulder. And God began to call. God began. And he turned my life completely a 180 degrees around. And I know it's no fig that did that. It's no bandage that did that. No drug that did that. God gave me a brand new start, a brand new heart. In fact, the, the scripture that became so real to me was, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. No one else could have done that for me except for God. And there's some things that only he can do. 
And so he tells Hezekiah, when you see the shadow go up instead of down, you know it's me. And his heart, I believe Hezekiah's heart, is, is filled with hope. And God gives him this amazing sign. He wants him to know that it's the Lord that's healing you. That, that he's the one that is the healer. And, and no pun intended, he wants him to know without a shadow of a doubt, it's me, Hezekiah. I'm the one, not the figs. Here's how you'll know it's me. Now, if you're in 2 Kings chapter 20, the same story is told here. But the, the, the context is a little different, and, and we can, between the two stories, we can get the whole flow of what happens. Verse 1 through 3, exactly like Isaiah. Isaiah comes to him, he's sick to death, sets your house in order, he turns his face toward the wall, he prays, remember, O Lord, I, I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart, exactly. And then it says in verse 4, and this is what we don't have. It says it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, before he's even left the palace of the king. Now here, imagine Isaiah. He sent him there. Here's the word for him. Tell him what to do. He's going to die. Put his house in order. So before he's even leaving, he's walking out, and God speaks to him. Verse 4 of 2 Kings, verse 20. And he says, the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord God of David, your prayer, I've heard it, and I've seen your tears, and surely I will heal you, and on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. So within three days he's going to see the shadow go up, and he himself will be healed, and he'll go up to the house of the Lord. And God reveals this to him. I mean, Isaiah must be going, wait a minute, I'm going to look like an idiot. I just told him he's going to die. And now I've got to turn around. I'm just about to go out the front door and go back and tell him he's going to be healed in three days. So God speaks. And it tells us here that he's going to heal the leader of his people. Now, now let's look at the, the, the flow of this. Just, just listen to me for a second. Hezekiah is ill to the point of death. Isaiah comes for an encouraging pastoral visit. You're going to die, dude. Set your house in order. Oh, gee, thanks for stopping by. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, doesn't want to see Isaiah. He begins to pray. Isaiah leaves the bedroom, but before he gets out of the front door, the Lord stops him, turn around, go back and tell the king, I've heard your prayer. And he has this immediate answer to prayer. I mean, the guy doesn't even get out of the house yet. This is phenomenal. And then back to chapter 38 of Isaiah, verse 21. He takes the figs. He applies the poultice to the boil. And God does an amazing thing. Three days from now, he'll go up to the house of the Lord. Isaiah 38, verse 22, Hezekiah said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And as we saw, God only could have given him this sign, right? Only God. The shadow of the sun will go back 10 steps. Now that's, that's the story in context. You say, well, John, what's that got to do with us? 
Well, one thing, it's a picture, I believe, of a godly man at the point of death in the mix of an unexpected crisis. He prays, and three days later, God will raise him up. And it's a, it's a type, really, and I want, I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about Hezekiah's hope, Hezekiah's faith, and then at the very end, we'll talk about God's love. So we're going to talk about hope, we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to talk about love. But here you have an amazing picture of hope. It's really a typology in some ways of Jesus himself, crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day, he's raised up. On the third day, he comes alive. And this is your hope. This is my hope if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That God raised him from the dead so you yourself will be raised up in new life. You one day will go up to the house of the Lord. As the shadow of life gets long in your life, and none of us know the day nor the hour, but one day we know. And Lord, what is the sign that I'll go up to the house? Well, I'll raise up my son. Of course, Hezekiah is speaking of going to the temple, but we know that we go to the house of the Lord. What is the sign that I will go? Jesus rose on the third day, and you and I will go to the house of the Lord, a place he's prepared for you and I to be with him forever, based on what the Lord tells us in his word. John 6, verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I go to prepare a place for you, he says, that where I am there you shall be also. That's the hope of the gospel. That, that's the hope beyond the grave. That God raised up his own son and that if you trust in him, if you have faith in him, you will go to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah was a godly man. And yet bad things happen to godly people. Godly people get sick. Godly people die. God, godly people lose their jobs. Godly people are also in the midst of the pandemic like everyone else. We know the disciples went through all kinds of difficulties and trials and persecutions, and many of them were martyred. We know the story of Job, who was innocent, and how he suffered and how he struggled. We know Jesus himself said, I'm a man acquainted with great sorrows and with great grief and with great suffering. In 2 Kings... Chapter 18, verse 5, it describes Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. He was the greatest king of Israel, and yet he has this unexpected crisis. It's an amazing story of suffering and uncertainty and healing and faith. But what is significant for us is Hezekiah writes down his confession. He tells us, okay, this is what I was like. And we're going to look at it. This is what my faith was like when I was told I was going to die. He was alone. He was facing death. He was sick. And look at his faith. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 15, what shall I say? 
He has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. And I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. He said, the Lord came to me and told me I was going to die through his prophet Isaiah. I was going to suffer. And this is part of his response, part of his reflection. He's looking back. This part of the section is him looking back and how he felt now that he has recovered. He said, God did what he said. I heard, I answered, he healed me. But during the crisis, he said, I struggled with bitterness of soul. You ever get bitter? He sought the Lord. He served the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord. He was a godly man. He was a leader. But he struggled with God allowing him to be sick. And he says, I walk slowly because of the bitterness of my soul. You have to appreciate Hezekiah's honesty. How he's just saying, okay, I'm going I'm to share with you my, my story, my journey through this. He doesn't recover from almost a death situation and say, oh, I knew God had it all along. I was at peace. There was no problem. Yeah, I never, I never doubted. I never struggled. He says, no, I was dealing with great bitterness of my soul. Like, why me, Lord? Ever felt that way? Something happens in your life, something happens with, your, with a spouse or something happens with a child or something happens with your job or a relationship or your own health and you begin to say, God, you know, I'm trying to serve you, I'm doing this. God, God why me? Hezekiah is telling us that he was having a hard time trusting and dealing with his faith when the unexpected struck. I mean, maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're in one of those silent struggles. No one really knows what's going on in your life. Maybe you're struggling with alcohol or drugs or maybe you're struggling with pornography or maybe you're struggling with a marriage and no one knows your marriage but you. It's a silent war that's going on in your heart. Maybe you're struggling with a child that's become a prodigal or maybe you're struggling with a relationship or with a job. The most godly king in all of Israel says, I struggled with bitterness of the soul. So you might too. He confesses that he was tested. And, and, and please know that, that we're all tested. We all go through life and, and there's tests along the way. In, in verse 17 of chapter 38 of Isaiah, he says, Indeed, it was for my own peace that you put me through this. You could translate that word peace to good. It was for my own good, God, that you did this. It was David, the great king also, who said, it was good for me to be afflicted. And he says there in verse 15, Hezekiah does, I shall walk carefully all my 15 years now that I have ahead of me. And that word carefully really means slowly or the best translation I could find of it means humbly. I'll walk humbly now, Lord. I knew my faith was strong. I knew I lived a godly life. But when the unexpected came, I didn't do so well. I got bitter. I wish I could look back and say, I never stumbled. I never doubted. I never complained. But Hezekiah says, no, no, no. I had great bitterness. 
That great bitterness. God uses to humble me, he says, and now I will walk carefully for the next 15 years. Remember Peter? How arrogant he was, how proud he was, how, well, in Matthew 26, verse 33, you'll recognize these words. Peter answered and said to him, looking at the rest of the disciples, Lord, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Man, really, Pete? Oh, yeah, I got this, Lord. And you know the story. It wasn't long after that, in the midst of Jesus' arrest and trial, that Peter is warming himself by the fire, and a simple little maiden comes to him, a young lady, a girl really is the translation. A young girl goes, you're one of those, uh, well, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, no, you've you got the same, di- you got that Galilean dialect. And he cursed and swore and said, I never, ever knew him. And you know the story. Right? And Peter later on, when the Lord had humbled him, is writing his epistle. And in in 1 Peter 5, it tells us, uh, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Don't exalt yourself. Don't ever say, Lord, though all these would stumble, I will never stumble. Pete's saying, look what happened to me. And here's the principle of the unexpected crisis. It will test your faith. And God will use it to shape you and show you that you have much need of him. So much about the strength of your faith. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm strong. No, you're not strong. Your God is strong. That's who's strong. You know, if we could line us all up here today, and you would get in line according to the strength of your faith. Where would you put yourself? At the front? Oh, yeah, I'm faith. Yeah, man, I got it. Really? Hmm. There's a little fire scarecrow. Now, now let me try to put this, this whole thing in, into some kind of order the best I can in the sequence. Godly king Hezekiah becomes sick. He struggles with bitterness of the soul. Isaiah visits. Set your house in order. You're going to die. Hezekiah thinks, oh, my gosh, I live. I, I turn my face to the wall. I weep. I pray. Isaiah's trying to get out of there. I mean, you would, too, if you had to deliver that kind of news. And, and suddenly God speaks to him. He's not even out of the house. Go back. He tells Hezekiah, you'll recover. You'll have 15 more years. And verse 16 of Isaiah, chapter 38, you have his response. O Lord, by these things men live, by your word, by your touch. And all these things is the life of my spirit, so you will restore me and make me to live. Oh God, your word has brought me health. Your word has brought me life. Now I believe these wonderful, wonderful promises that you give me. He responds. God speaks to Hezekiah, and his faith is reborn and strengthened by his word. And he turns God's word into into a prayer. You will restore me. You will make me to live. Blessed it was for me 
to be troubled by you, Lord. It was for my good. And I think sometimes we need to turn God's promises into prayers when our faith is being tested. God, you said you'd make me strong. God, you said in your word, you, you promised that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Lord, I, I'm going to pray that. Lord, you told me that I need wisdom right now. I have no idea what to do with this job or this situation or this person or this circumstance. And you said, if anyone lacking wisdom, let him ask. So, Lord, right now, I'm, I'm praying that prayer. I'm asking for wisdom. Maybe you're here today and you need to pray for joy. For a smile on your face. You know, sometimes it's amazing to me, Christians who, who, are, who lack any joy whatsoever, they never smile, they never laugh, they're like, bless God. Really? Well, lighten up. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, you have this, whom having not seen the Lord you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, what do you do? You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Lord, I don't see you. I can't touch you. But I know you're real. Your promises are great. And his promises are good. God promises to forgive, doesn't he? So ask for forgiveness. When you face unexpected crises, your, your faith is tested and your faith can be strengthened by his word. And you can pray what God pro promises for your life. So there's, there's, there's this hope that he gives us through Hezekiah that, that you'll go up to the house of the Lord. There's this testing of faith and God proves his, he strengthens our faith with his word. And then there's one more thing finally in chapter uh, 38, verse 17. I love this verse. He says, indeed it was for my own good that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly and I'd underline that word. You have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. In the midst of an unexpected crisis, please remember this if you don't remember anything else. Hezekiah says, God, you loved me through it all. In fact, if you were to translate this verse, it would, it would translate like this. God, you loved me out of the pit. God, you loved me out of that pit. You loved me out of that circumstance. Nothing is more sure in life than God's love for you, and it's been demonstrated in a way God only could through his son, Jesus Christ. Powerful stuff. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't matter if you're someone who's fallen or stumbled or bitter. How great is it that we should be called the children of God? That's phenomenal. What shall separate us from the love of God? And there's a great list that goes on height or depth. No thing, it says, at the end shall separate us. You delivered my soul out of the pit of corruption. He says, how did I do it? And he goes on to say, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Hey, before I came to Christ, all my sins were in God's face. I was a rebel. I, I knew I was a sinner. No one had to tell me. And all my sins were before him. 
But Isaiah says in another place in his word, he says, the Lord says to you, to me, come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. I'll cast them all behind my back. I'll remember them no more. Have you had all your sins cast behind his back? Or are they all still in his face? The virus, the pandemic, the stock market crash, the job loss, no toilet paper, whatever the crisis might be. The greatest thing you can say in the midst of an unexpected situation is my sins are forgiven and God has lovingly delivered me from the pit. That's what he does. All your sins are cast behind his back. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And it will change you. And one day, you will go to the house of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 